Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. Here at Back Creek Church, we are focused on connecting people with the hope of the gospel. With this week's message, here's Pastor Matt Mantooth. This morning we are going to be looking at Numbers chapter 11. I've never, uh, never preached from the book of Numbers. Um, I do ask for your, your prayers. Uh, be praying for as we go through. Uh, Numbers is not the easiest uh, of books to, to preach from. Uh, However, it is definitely a, a book that is the Word of God. <laughs> um, it is also um, a book that is very fitting. Um, as we are looking at this uh, topic of, of suffering, and there have been a lot of, uh, I have seen a lot of people that are going through uh, difficult times uh, lately. Um, and so this passage is something that I think is, is very fitting as God speaks to us as we are going through all of the, the many uh, life challenges and the realization that the, the burdens of this life are too big. They are too heavy for us to bear, whether it be uh, dealing with the death of a loved one or dealing with uh, a newfound found illness uh, or the illness of a loved one, whether it be financial difficulties um, or emotional stresses, there are so many uh, so many burdens that we face, and most often um, we tend to ask the questions like, "Why God? Why would we have to go through such things? Why?" Do good people have to go through such trials? Why, God? Or we tend to try to figure things out on our own and try to handle things and work through things and just try harder and, and, and press more and, and do more and be better. And, and we find that these are never really the answers because... The burdens, the, the weights, the, the heaviness of this life is simply too much for us to handle. And this morning as we go through this passage, we are going to find that uh, God has provided us many tools in dealing with the burdens of this life through uh, the church and through fellow church members and, and through pastors and, and session members and those are all wonderful tools that God uses, but then sometimes even that isn't enough. Sometimes we need that, that miracle or, or God's intervention in the moment in order to deal with it. This morning we are going to, I'm going to recommend to you uh, a couple of different books one of them is Paul David Tripp, uh, and his book is called Suffering. If you are, were a part of our community group uh, on parenting, Paul David Tripp is the person that wrote the, the parenting book that we went through. Um, but Paul David Tripp is a PCA pastor. Uh, he is a gospel-based uh, counselor. Um, and he is obviously an, an author. And so that is one book. The other is called Embodied Hope. This book is written by Dr. Kelly Capick. Uh, Kelly Capick is a professor of, uh, of Bible at Covenant College, 
Um, he was not uh, one of, of my professors. I did go to Covenant, but he started actually the year after I graduated from there. Um, but he is uh, a well-respected uh, theologian, and uh, this book is definitely, it's, it's, it's extremely practical. Uh, so I'm going to give a couple stories uh, from each of these books that are, are from, uh, really written from practical experience in their own dealings with the sufferings of this life. Uh, Paul Tripp, he writes in his book uh, about a, a day when his life was completely changed. Um, he had been experiencing some, uh, some symptoms that he decided, maybe I should go to the doctor. He's like, I'm not as young as I once was, and so maybe these things might mean something. And he wasn't really thinking very much of it, so he made this plan, well, I'll go to the, the hospital on Sunday, and first I'm gonna, we'll get up and we'll go to church and uh, he is uh, a, a pastor, and so he goes and does church, and then he's like, we'll go eat as a family, and then after that, go over to, to the hospital, which is across the street from the church. And so he goes to church, and, and then out to eat with the family, and then he and his wife go over to the hospital, and they're like, it's not going to be a big deal, so we're going to check in and then watch some of the, the Philadelphia Eagles football game. Um, and so they, they go about this, and, and then once he is being seen in the doctor, it quickly goes from him telling them his symptoms to there being four doctors from different departments uh, trying to figure out what is going on, and then quickly admitting him into the hospital, and it went from uh, just a little thing to... Uh, he, he describes it as being some of the worst spasms of his his whole body spasming that he's ever felt in his life. And it went from checking in to being uh, a 10-day stay and then discovering that, well, this isn't the, the end of your pain, but it's going to be the start. Um, he learned that he was, uh, as he went to the doctor, that he was in acute kidney failure. Um, and he went from surgery after surgery after surgery over this six-month time. He writes in his book, In Dealing with This Pain, physical suffering exposes the delusion of personal autonomy and self-sufficiency. If you and I had the kind of control that we fall into thinking we have, none of us would ever go through anything difficult. None of, none of us would choose to be sick. None of us would choose to experience physical pain, physical pain. None of us likes the prospect of being physically weak and disabled. None of us likes our lives being put on hold. Physical suffering does force you to face the reality that your life is in the hands of another. It reminds you that you are small and dependent. And that whatever little bits of power and control you have can be taken away in an instant. Independence is a delusion that is quickly exposed by suffering. Kelly Capick, he writes a very similar story uh, in his book, Embodied Hope. He begins by telling the story of a day that his life was completely changed. And he is at his house um, going about his, his daily business while his, his wife is, is gone and she uh, was going to some checkups. They had been doing some, uh, some medical tests. And, <clears throat> and he got this eerie sense that something was wrong. Um, and so he tried to call his wife, and, and she didn't answer the phone. And so he tried again, and she still didn't answer. And most of you have never been uh, to Lookout Mountain, uh, which is where Covenant College is, but it is a, a windy mountain road. 
Um, it's not a tall mountain, but the roads are definitely uh, these short, windy uh, roads. It gets really foggy. You can't see anything, and it's scary. And so he, he gets this sense, my wife is probably wrecked on the side of the road uh, coming up Lookout Mountain. And so he, he leaves and, and, and is like holding his breath as he goes around each curve expecting to see his wife wrecked or ambulances and fire trucks and, and all these things. And as he is going down and holding this breath, he passes his wife and she just waves. <clears throat> and so he turns around and he goes back up the mountain to his home and they sit down and they eat supper as a family and then his kids go off and they uh, go back and are, are doing their thing and his wife sits down and says we, we have to talk and, and she explains to him the news that, uh, that he never thought was coming that she had cancer and that the reason that she was late was that she was trying to pull things together uh, in order to be able to hold things uh, together for her family and to be able to share this news. Their life was changed forever from that point. She had simply done what she had learned is the best thing to do is that when you have bad news, share it after feeding the people. Suffering is difficult. And when we hear stories like that and we think about our own lives, we quickly realize that everybody has stories like this. Whether it is your own story, the story of somebody in your, your family or friends, loved ones, everybody is going through a difficult time. Everybody has sicknesses and, and losses and hurts and pains and all those things are simply too heavy for us to bear on our own. And that's even without thinking about the, those burdens that we cause on our own through our own sinfulness. The reality is, is that, that all burdens are ultimately a, a result of sin in the sense that because the fall happened, because Adam and Eve uh, committed sin, that sin came into the world and everything fell apart. Everything became broken. Everything became not as good as it was. Evil came into the world. Death came into the world. Brokenness came into the world. But every burden isn't specifically caused by something that you have done wrong. In this world now, there is always suffering, but God is always good. He is always perfect. He is always big. He is always in control. But the world that we face is so completely broken. And both good people and bad Righteous and evil, holy and unholy, all these people face suffering. Some of the suffering is a form of discipline, while other suffering is a, a, a way of, of growth. Some people suffer uh, like Christ suffered for the glory of God and for the good of other people. Often, though, we do not know and cannot know the reasons for the suffering. So we look at this passage this morning. We will see a people that is complaining. We will see grumbling and God dealing with them in their grumbling. Here in Numbers 11, he loves them through discipline and he loves them through provision but if you are suffering this morning, I'm not trying to say that God is disciplining you. 
I'm not trying to say that God is dealing with some sin in your life, and, and that is why you are going through such struggles. But in these times, only God knows. And we only know that God is over everything, that he is in control, and that he is always good. As we read through the Old Testament and we see Old Testament stories, we see that there is, is something very cyclical going on. Something very cyclical in, in, in the suffering and that God's people, um, that God provides for them. God makes covenants and, and promises with them. And then the people sin. They run away from God. They complain, they cry out. And then God remembers the covenant that he had made with them and he restores them. And then it happens over and over again. It's a story of love. It's a story of, of rebellion of God's people. And it's a story of re- redemption and restoration. In our chapter, uh, Numbers 11 today, it begins with the people complaining. So let's go to the reading of the word. I'm not going to ask you to stand uh, because it is a a long chapter, so you may sit and follow along. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So the name of the place was called Tiberah because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like a coriander seed and its appearance like that of bedellum. The people went about it and gathered it and ground it in handmills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and make, made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell among the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight, that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth, that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom, as a nurse carries a nursing child, to the land you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, Give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men. Of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand, take their stand there with you, and I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it bear it yourself alone. And say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? 
for it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month, until it comes out at your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? But Moses said, The people among whom I am number 600,000 on foot, and you have said, I will give them meat, and they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. (coughs) And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to them, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them? And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp. About his day journey on this side, and a day's journey on the other side, around the camp, and about two cubits above the ground. And the people rose all the day and all the night, and all the next day, and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore the name of the place was called Kibroth Hatavah, because there they buried the people who had been craving. From Kibroth Hatavah, the people journeyed to Hazaroth, and they remained at Hazaroth. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, we thank you for uh, dealing graciously uh, with your people. We thank you for dealing graciously and mercifully with us. We, like Israel, continually complain against you. We complain about the lots that we face in, in our own lives and the struggles. But Lord, you are always good. We don't understand it always but you are always faithful. Lord, and the picture is so much bigger than what we see and understand. And we pray this morning that you will help us to understand that you are a good and gracious, loving God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, there are five short things that I would like you to see from this passage, all having to do with the burden being so heavy. First, I would like you to see that the burden is too heavy for the unbeliever. The burden is too heavy for the sinner to carry. If you are a believer, then you already know this to be true. As those of us who are believers, we have come to a place where we have given our lives to Christ, knowing that we cannot care for our own sins. That our own sins are are simply too much for us to carry, and we have, have come to the place where maybe, if you are like me, you fought tooth and nail against God, saying that, that you would do it on your own, but he, he brought you to a place where there simply was no hope left except 
to give your life over to him. However, if you have not yet put your life in Christ's hands, my guess is that you are still trying to figure some of these things out. Why is life so difficult? Why make enough money today? Will, will I make enough money to be good? Will, will I be promoted? Is that, is that going to be enough for, for me to be, be able to take care of my life and my family? Will I get through this sickness or, or this injury? Is there going to be any good come, come out of it? Does, does it really even matter for us to see from numbers that the burden is too heavy for the sinner? We have to look at the whole context of the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, Moses is commanded by God to, to take a census and to establish uh, how each of the clans was to serve and be a part of the greater community of Israel. However, there are some that are, are not really able to be a, a part of that because they are unclean. In chapter 5 of Numbers, we find how the people were supposed to deal with those who were unclean. One of these unclean things was a person that sinned by breaking faith. Verses 6 and 7 says, When a man or a woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did the wrong. The kind of sin being referred to here is a sin against another person within the community. It's often a, a damage to property or a stealing of property and the breaking of relationship with that person and the community. And it is something that causes the sinner to be overwhelmed with a sense of guilt. You see, often this sin of the breaking faith, it wasn't the kind of thing that, that they were intentionally going about sinfulness with. It is kind of a, a sin of, of desperation. They're trying to figure out how to make ends meet or, 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 or take care of their family, and they don't have enough. And so they see somebody else that, that has what they need, and, and they take it to be able to provide for their family. But they get, then the, the guilt begins to eat at them. And they don't know, know how to deal with it. The burden is, is too heavy. It's too weighty. And so we see here in Numbers 5 that the Lord makes a way for restitution. A way that this sinner may not be outcast, but may be able to stay a part of this community. This morning, if you are an unbeliever or you are a believer, but you are stuck in some sort of sin that you simply cannot shake you may feel this, this weightiness of your burden. You may understand that this, this guilt is simply eating you. There is a, a way out. The book of Numbers is part of the Torah or, or the law of the Old Testament. And this gives a pathway towards restitution and this pathway is good. Confess your sin to the one you have committed the sin. Make restitution and make things right how you are able. Often paying even more than you have caused the damage. As difficult as this is, it still only makes restitution with that person that you have broken the faith with. It only, it only heals that one relationship. It doesn't take care 
of all of your sins and all of your brokenness. And the reality is, is that all of us have more than one sin. We all have more than one brokenness. R.C. Sproul writes in his book, Surprised by Suffering, to suffer without Christ is to risk being totally and completely crushed. Our God, through his great mercy, saw fit to make a way for restitution here in the Old Testament. But then ultimately, he makes even bigger restitution, a, a way that we can have forgiveness for all of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. But this morning, I want you to see that the burdens of this life are not only too heavy for the non-believer, but they are also too heavy for those of us who are Christians. By this, I don't mean to say that God isn't able to handle it, but rather that we are unable to handle it without God. Look at Numbers 11, verse 1. And the people, this is God's Old Testament chosen people, Israel, the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then 11.2 says, the first people complained and then the fire came down upon their outer parts of the camp. The people complained about their misfortunes. And these Israelites, the people of God, the people whom God loved and chose, they began complaining. They complained and they complained. In one moment, the Lord provides, and the next we find these people complaining. In fact, if... If the Israelites were not a complaining people, they would probably not be a people at all because that is simply what they did all the time. The Lord delivers them from Egypt and they look back and they see the Israelites and immediately they begin complaining. And, and then Moses, they say to Moses, why, why did you even have to open your mouth? Why did you have to, to, to deliver us out of Egypt? Couldn't we have just stayed there and then they begin starving and and the lord provides for them and then israel is like really manna why can't why can't you give us why can't you give us some meat or 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 we used to eat good melon and onions and and, and leeks and, and and garlic why can't you give us that kind of stuff complaining and whining complaining and whining when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. They were unaccustomed to the fatigues of travel and wandering into the depths of a desert, less mountainous but far more gloomy and desolate than that, that of Sinai, without any near prospect of the rich country that had been promised. They fell into a state of vehement discontent, which was vented at the irksome and fruitless journeyings. The displeasure of God was manifested against the ungrateful complainers by fire sent in extraordinary manner. The burden here is too much for the weak people. They are used to a certain kind of life, and when they don't have that, they, they complain and they want God to provide for them in the way that they want God to provide. Yet we see here that the Lord continually, he is providing. He is providing the people with everything they, they need and often more. Just not always in the way that they desire. The reality is that we aren't that much different than Israel. At least I know that I'm not that much different. I find myself complaining to God often. When I'm tired, 
when my kids sometimes act like teenagers because, you know, they're teenagers. When medical, medical bills come or we see health struggles within our family, I can look at my life and I can see all the ways that God has provided for our needs, that he has taken care of us over and over and over again. But I complain, God, why not more? Why not steak instead of manna? So maybe you are a lot like me and Israel also, complaining even when the Lord gives you his good gifts. Or maybe God is bringing us something better, something for something that he has plans that is beyond our understanding, that is better than we can even think. Tim Keller, who recently passed away through a fight with cancer, said, I also came to realize that adversity did not merely lead people to believe in God's existence. It pulled those who already believed into a deeper experience of God's reality, love, and grace. And then he reminds us of of a saying that C.S. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, and shouts in our pain. How true is this? Israel's response was first to complain, and then second, to cry out to God. But often that shout of pain is what we need in order for us to bring us to a place of crying out to God. Israel needed to go through that pain in order to bring them to a place to cry out to God, to realize that they needed God in order to live their lives. Suffering is never easy. It is always painful, always heavy. It sometimes affects us physically, sometimes emotionally, sometimes spiritually, and sometimes every part of who we are. I want to challenge you this morning. Move quickly to the crying out to God. Hear the shouts of suffering and cry out to him. So often we, have, we see people that, that come and, and that they're asking that question, why? Why would God allow these bad things happen to good people or bad things happen in, 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 in the lives of, of people who have done nothing wrong? And the reality is, is there's no real answer there, but God wants us to cry out to him. He wants us to ask those questions to him Why would you do this? What's going on? Because, as C.S. Lewis says, that it is those cries that bring us out to God. And and as Tim Keller is saying, it is through those pains that God is showing us who he is. So cry out to God. Ask him why. Ask him how. Ask him when. Just cry out, God, Help me. I also want you to see this morning that the burden is too heavy for your pastors. I don't want to tell you that this, I don't want, I don't tell you this to keep you from sharing your great burdens with us, but rather so that you may know that the burdens are something we all struggle and carry. If your burdens are too weighty and you need somebody to, to, to talk to somebody, to hear you, to, to speak a loving voice to you, to speak gospel hope of Jesus to you. This is the calling of your pastors. This is our passion as your pastors. We want to speak God's truth into your life, and we want to, to hear and walk with you through difficult times. Your pastors and your shepherding elders, we are always here for you and we long to minister to you through your trials and your tribulations, your hurts 
in your pains. However, we are simply just one of God's tools. We are one of those ways that God has given in order to help you lay your burdens down to him. And as we hear you, it is never our goal to simply speak good advice to you. It is never our goal to tell you what to do or how you should do it, but it is our, always our goal to speak the living words of Jesus Christ to you, the gospel hope. We believe that God has called us to be about connecting people with the hope of the gospel, and that is our goal when we talk with you, speak with you, and counsel with you, because this is where your true help comes from. In Numbers 11, 11 through 14, we see that Moses is overwhelmed by his people's burdens. We find Moses crying out to God in his weakness. And Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth? And you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers. Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. I'm not able to carry this burden alone. The burden is too heavy for me. One commentary says that it would be easy for us to understand Moses' state of mind. He is in the state of mind agonized and almost overwhelmed by a sense of undivided responsibilities of his office. He has so many in his care and they are dissatisfied, tired of the same old things, and they are grumbling. Moses knows his responsibility, and his responsibility is to lead the people to the promised land, lead these people to Jesus, or lead these people to God, but at the same time, he is growing tired. It's not that he doesn't love the people. It's not it's not that he wants to give up, it's, it's, it's rather that he simply knows what they are going through. He kind of feels the same way that they do, but knows that he's supposed to lead them to put their trust in God. And so he also, he complains and he cries out to God for help. And here we see again that the Lord in his great mercy, he provides he makes a way for Moses to be taken care of. The need is great, so the Lord provides him with a group of 70 men to assist in governing, governing the people. Here at Back Creek Church, your pastors and ministry staff, we are thoroughly equipped to love you. We are thoroughly equipped to counsel you and walk with you through life's challenges, which are, are caused by natural or, or spiritual things. However, at the end of the day, we are people and we are sinners and we are broken and we are hurting and we are a broken mess as well. But we are called to walk with you through your messes. But the Lord provides for us as he did for Israel. And here at Back Creek, he provides for us through the session. And also through, through the diaconate who is called to assist the session with mercy ministry things. But the reality is that the burden is too heavy for the leaders of your church also. For your session and for your diaconate. In verses 16 through 18 we see that the Lord commanded Moses to gather 70 elders. And some were those that were already elders and others were new elders. And he gave them the same spirit which was on Moses. In other words, by the power of his spirit, he enabled them and gifted them with the qualities and the tools and the blessings to be able to come alongside of Moses and participate in the ministry and lead the people as Moses did. And I am so thankful today that the Lord has provided elders and deacons at Back Creek Church to partner with us 
in ministry, to help carry the burdens of, of the church, to go with us uh, through the struggles. Today, the Lord provides this with our elders and our deacons to assist. The pastor and the elders are called to govern and shepherd together, while the deacons are called to assist in ministry through mercy ministry and buildings and, and financial needs. And the Lord gives to the pastor helpers just as he gave Moses helpers to help carry the burdens of Israel. And these elders and deacons help us help carry the burdens through the church. But only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And they are not called to be perfect. But they are called to lead, govern, shepherd in exactly the same ways in which God has entrusted them. However, the burdens of life are even too much for the pastors and the shepherds together. So I finally want you to see this morning that the burdens are not too heavy for Jesus. In verses 26 through 30, we read, Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp, and a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to them, Are you jealous for my sake? What that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them, and Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Here we see something that wasn't really planned by Moses or the people. We may think of it as a miraculous working of God. These two men had been given the Spirit, though they had not been set aside by the people. They were not the elders that were appointed to be in that role. However, God used them in a mighty way. Sometimes God works through the tools that he has given us in an ordinary, ordinary means. Sometimes he works through, through the, the fellow church members. Sometimes he, he works through your, your pastor, pastors and elders and, and deacons. This is the ordinary way he actually works. But sometimes he goes over and above or in a completely different way than what he expects and he provides, and he heals, and he helps miraculously. The burdens of this life are too heavy for those of, those of us who are in Christ to bear, but it's never too heavy for our Savior. In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, we hear some sweet words from our Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This does not mean that believers will not face trials and tribulations, sadnesses and hard things. It does also not mean that we should not talk to our friends, parents, neighbors, pastors, and elders about our burdens. The book of James, we are called to rejoice in our suffering, but also called to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another in our sicknesses and our burdens. At the end of the day, all these things are tools that God uses ultimately to help us to come to him. Come give everything over to Jesus so that we can lay our burdens down. And he takes our heavy burdens and he gives us his easy load. Dane Ortland points out in his book, Gentle and Lowly, that these sweet words of Jesus get to the heart of who he is. So that when we are hard pressed on every side, as Paul describes, when the trials are too big and too much and, and too heavy, that we feel like we are going to be crushed, we are able to go to Jesus with our burdens and know he will deal with us gently. We also see in Philippians that Jesus humbles himself 
even to the point of death, death on a cross, so that we may approach our God in all of our messes, all of our brokenness, and all of our tears. In Numbers 11, the people complain, they cry out, and he provided as the people needed. We see the cycle in the Old Testament of, of complaining, crying out, and redemption and restoration. In the New Testament, we see the same sort of cycle. God uses all the tools as a means to lead us to the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. My former pastor used to talk about the cycle of sin, repentance, and restoration. When we sin, we break things in our relationship with God. And he doesn't move away from us, but we move away from him. And then sickness and injury sometimes cause us to move or push God even further away, trusting him less, and we try to fix things on our own. But God desires us to quickly come to him, to repent, and he will quickly accept us and bring us back to him. He will quickly forgive us and restore us. And the idea is that this cycle will be shorter and smaller and more often, and so we will repent more quickly and more often so that we may be restored and we will never go so quite so far away. But the longer we wait, the longer we try to figure things out on our own, the further away that we grow from Jesus. And then sometimes we must, we have to hit rock bottom in order that God will Bring us back. God always remembers the covenants that he made for us. He always is quick to forgive and quick to restore. But often we take a really long time to give to him our, uh, our trust. You can find additional sermons and learn more about our ministries by heading to backcreekchurch.org. We'd love to see you in person for our worship service at 10.30 on Sunday mornings. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Thanks for listening.